0: to FussPod, the podcast that explores the connections between urban living and urban design. We're run by York University's Federation of Urban Studies Students, and I'm your host, Justine. I'm really excited about this episode because it touches on a lot of different issues happening not only in Toronto, but in a lot of urban spaces. It's about the cycle of gentrification and the effect it has on the city's music scene. Joining us on the pod today is Rabia Munir, an undergraduate student here at York University who's working on a project examining this very issue, and she brings forward some insights and reflections that I found really valuable and hope you also find valuable. Rabia also talks about an exchange she had with urban studies theorist Richard Florida, author of the book The New Urban Crisis, and the conversation they had over Toronto's creative class. I really enjoyed this conversation with Rabia, and so without any further ado, here it is. Hi, Rabia. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Justine.
0: So you are doing a really interesting project on gentrification and music venues in Toronto that I found fascinating, which happily led to a really great exchange Mm -hmm. between you and the esteemed Richard Florida. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to all of that in a moment. But first, I'd like to just take a step back and ask, what got you interested in looking at music venues here in Toronto?
1: Well, last year I took uh, the course 2710 with Teresa CC at York and it was a required course but then she has the same interests as me. We are very much into the music. I, I've always loved music and I had asked her, I was like, because she, she always gives you what's coming ahead of the future. So she told me that, you know, you are going to have to do your own project where you can choose whatever topic. Of, of urban studies, and you're gonna relate it to an urban theory, and I wanted to do music because I love music. I have friends who have been affected because they couldn't find a venue to perform at, so they had to reshape and you know figure out their life again. And uh, this year came, and she's like, "Oh, are you still interested in the music scene?" And I was like, "Yes, definitely." I started researching, and then. Funny enough, in uh, January 2017, a newspaper, not more like, not a newspaper, but a report was released and Tori made a statement saying, you know what, music venues are closing, we got to do something. Funny enough, he hasn't done anything since then. So that's why I was like, you know what, I'm going to go look into this and see what's happening. You led us
0: into this a little bit, but could you tell us more about what your project is specifically looking at?
1: so mine are looking at how the millennials nowadays don't want to don't seem to want to go out yeah i'm a millennial and i want to stay in because i can listen to any music from any corner of the world all with the touch of my phone i can download spotify and i can connect to a song a singer who's in like australia or something right and i can do live streams with that musician just by through Instagram live streams right so I wanted to look at how because millennials don't want to go out and musicians are being pushed out to the suburbs because the city core is getting rich and you know they can't afford it so I was like let's see how digital media is affecting that uh, the music scene and how gentrification is linked to that so let's talk
0: a little bit about Noah's Ark, the pub that was closed down by your home.
1: Mm-hmm. What was it like? So that pub, I used to live by uh, Dover Court before, so I was in that area, and then I moved to um, to Coxwell and uh, and I used to go, I used to go to that pub at, like around the age of sixteen, so with my fake ID and everything with a few friends of mine and my sister's friends and so and then i believe it was 24 2014 or 2016 i got i just gotta double check but they closed it because they weren't making enough money and that pub is in a residential area and it's um muslim community around it so and in, in the muslim community you're not allowed to drink right so that really affected them and uh now they demolished it and uh, an outlet store came. It's like a vintage depot where, you know, it's pretty much what you have on Queen Street, but a bit more, a bit less cheaper, I guess. And uh, that came, but that's not doing so well either. So then you just think, was it even worth it getting rid of that bar that the young crowd would at least try to go to sometimes. And it was a rock and roll bar. So, yeah. It's kind of a, Small tragedy in a way. Yeah, because if you think about it, you would assume, you know, if a place is going to get demolished, something bigger and better would come. But no, all it came was a vintage depot that is not doing so well either. And if you look at the backgrounds of it, right, if you look at the street behind that vintage depot where the bar was, there's there's two condominium buildings being built right now. And people have already you know said we want this they've already spoken to developers and they're renting it out already even though it's not even made so you know this the east york that little intersection on maine and danforth is very much in demand but then it goes back to what about those musicians right if those musicians don't have that bar to do their live music especially rock and roll which not many people like to listen to right it's more into hip hop now and where do those musicians go to the suburbs where again families families are not going to go at 9 o'clock at night to see some guy that they don't even know right and to buy a drink that's like 6 bucks Mm -hmm. you start to think where do these musicians go are there any pubs that were near Noah's Ark? No
0: Wow, so, so it's it a one. desert mm-hmm. you talk about how race, class and gender affects musicians everyday life mm-hmm. could we unpack that
1: a little and talk <coughs> about how they intersect with one another so to begin with race we all know socially constructed and the one thing about so the one thing about race is that if you look at the music scene right now in Toronto if you're Muslim you're playing your own uh, ethnic music and if you are you know white you're m- most likely Caucasian and you're gonna play your hip-hop or your rock and roll or rap or something like that right mm-hmm. so there's a, there's like a division within the music scene right now and I was speaking to a friend of mine who's actually at UFT he's studying music right now and he's from Bangla uh, Bangladesh and he said you know what I don't have this problem I don't know why everyone's saying music venues are closing. He's like, I still get enough gigs for me to pay my rent. So I was like, are you sure? And then I spoke to a friend of mine, Spencer, who's studying at Western and he's like, Rabia, it's a, an effort for me to find a gig and I have to split that hundred bucks within four people. And he's like, one night, you don't even know if you're gonna make enough from those tips. So that's what I was looking at. And then with gender, the role of music with female, with uh, within women and men is different. You know, Toronto hasn't done enough for the musicians who are females. The safety when they're leaving at four in the morning, what's going to happen to them? They haven't made enough money. They don't even know if they're going to get have enough money for the taxi or even Uber. So walking at four in the morning for a female, it's kind of risky. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you start to look and if you start to look at it, you really think everything's interconnected. It always goes back to the way the governance is, and these musicians they create these neighborhoods, these artsy neighborhoods that we all love. But then, you know, the city starts seeing, oh my God, people are going there. This is great for tourism. Let's push out those musicians now and make it into a condo, a condominium building where we can make more money off of. That makes any sense, and then the cycle of gentrification yeah, continues. that's when the gentrification rolls in, and that's where you think is creative economy even working in the city, right? It's, everything's interconnected, and it always goes back to: is the city doing anything for us? Is that the question that you're asking with your project? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at how, because digital media, mm-hmm. that's the number one thing we are. It's crazy. We're in a, this weird phase where we value digital media, but then we also say it can cause mental illness. It can it, it impacts our you know how we see ourselves, right? But then at the same time, people don't want to leave that thing. Mm-hmm. We're so like focused on it. You know, if we don't get enough likes on Instagram, I've seen people take down that photo mm-hmm. and you're like, how about you just enjoy it?" And that's why when you go and you see a musician, you experience it different than over a screen. But, I don't know, I'm biased, I love music, and it gets me very much in trouble, so... So,
0: this brings us to Richard Florida. For Mm -hmm. folks who are unfamiliar with his name, could you tell us a little bit
1: about him? So, Richard Florida is he studied from Columbia University. He is a professor at UFT currently, and he has done phenomenal work on uh, music and he was the one of the first creators of the creative economy. And he in his dissertation in his PhD, he's always arguing that we got to do something for the creative, not just the musicians, for the artists, anyone and anyone who is into liberal arts pretty much anyone who's into the music scene or the arts you got to do something because these people do generate their economy they do they do bring in a lot of money so it's up to us to do something but the problem is scholars like neil smith and city councilors they have twisted his work saying that you don't know what's happening you know he's saying he's arguing that i know gentrification happens i know you know housing is increasing but the problem is, you gotta look at these people. You gotta, if you can, if you can make a city that looks great to the eye, you'll bring in tourists, and that means you'll get a better economy. And he's like, and who who makes these hipster neighborhoods? The artists, you know, these creative people. But the thing is, people twist it, and yeah. they they say. Okay, and like the problem is some of these I can't I don't know. I think it was Atlanta. Don't quote me on this, but I'm going off the top of my head. They've created a policy saying, you know what, we're gonna make an entire city based off of our creative economy. And that's not what he's saying. He's like we should focus on the other stuff, like affordable housing. But make this as a you know as a an, as an issue that we should look at because it will help our economy. So let's lead into your story of uh, your interaction mm-hmm. with him. You actually had the opportunity to have an exchange with him. So back in December, I had my proposal done, and I was done with everything. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And my sister, she was like, you know, why don't you message Richard Florida and see if he would ever want to talk to you. I emailed him, and, you know, I was a bit tipsy and just writing, like writing, like writing, like, so much I wrote him an essay pretty much saying like I would love to e- just talk to you if you don't have time you can do an email like, whatever you want let me talk to you I'm your biggest fan and um, he emailed me two days later saying you know what yeah I'll do an interview with you why not and he, we spoke over the phone and he the yeah. thing with Richard Ford he's oh, so knowledgeable yeah, yeah. he is the number one scholar, in my opinion, like I love him. I think he's so good that he's throwing information at you. So here I am trying to write that information down and you know, make sure I get my interview, everything together. And he's like, and I had to tell him, I was like, you gotta slow down for me, like, this isn't working. And he was so nice and humble that he's like, you know what, I'll send you my work, like, I'll send you some of my answers, and that'll help you. And he even put me in contact with one of his PhD students, Patrick Adler, who actually helped him write his newest book, The Urban Crisis. And Patrick is currently working on the music, Toronto's music strategy as well. He is trying to evaluate and criticize, is it working or not? And I think what he did for me was, out of his way, he didn't have to put me in contact with any of his students, he didn't have to even email me back. And he did, and I will appreciate And I will thank him forever for this. It's a good moment. Mm -hmm. What did you take away from this moment with him? I think... So this is going to sound a bit cheesy, but the thing is, I feel when you are passionate about something and someone comes to you and they just want to get your expertise, you will help them because you're passionate. You want to help. You want to tell others about what you know. You want to... Because, like I said, his work is twisted so much. He, want, he wants people to understand that. I'm not trying to say the, that creative economy is the way to go. I'm saying we should make this a priority as well. And I think this was, a point, this was a time for him to tell me that. And I was one of the outlets where I can tell others that, you know, let's not twist his work. Let's think about it.
0: So this might be a difficult question Mm -hmm. for you to answer, but I'd really like to get your words on it. Um, What do you see the future for musicians
1: and music venues uh, in Toronto? I know I should have hope for it, but I think Toronto's music scene is slowly going to die. I feel because Toronto's music, John Tory, I'm sure he's trying to do his best, but since January 2017, he hasn't released any statement or anything saying, this is what I'm doing for these musicians. He hasn't done any of that. And now it's 2018. Literally an entire year has passed. And right now, musicians are moving to Hamilton. That's where the new music scene is happening. I think people, musicians who are from the lower class, right, living in Scarborough, they don't have the they have to go to they have to have a real job because they gotta pay that rent and they gotta follow their passion which is music. And some of them don't have cars. So what about TTC transit? You know, it comes to those little things like transit, affordable housing, and even just having enough money to buy food. And I think because they're not getting all that in Toronto they're going to places like Hamilton to get that. What does a dead music scene
0: look like in your eyes?
1: Where, in my eyes, when I imagine that, I think of places like, you know, the prairies, where there's not much happening in the music scene, right? There's nothing. You would think of, like, oh, once upon a time, there was so-and-so from there, you know? And just like this, I feel like Toronto is going to be like, oh, Drake was there from there, Weekend was from there. But no one's going to say, right now, so-and-so was from Toronto you know what I mean I think we we are so stuck in the moment that we're forgetting about oh my god how are we gonna make this moment last longer I think that's the problem well hopefully
0: we do have some work coming from John Tory and -hmm. from the government to try and help support the creative community in Toronto So as we're wrapping up here, I'd like to ask you some questions that mm-hmm. we ask all our guests here on the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first one for you is, what is the last
1: book that has inspired you? So the last book I read was uh, called Brown by uh, Kamal Al sali He is a journalist, a professor, and a journalist at uh, Ryerson University. And in his book, he was pretty much talking about, you know, when you're brown, you're not white enough to be privileged, and you're not. Dark enough to be discriminated. So, where are you in the economy? What kind of jobs do you do? And what is your daily life like? And he talks about colonialism and he talks about racism that takes places in like Trinidad and Indonesia. And he himself is a gay Egyptian Muslim man who was married previously, and he talks about that. He's like, How oh, Toronto is this beautiful place, but the, when you look at Toronto from a picture you'd be like, this is amazing like, we have all these mm-hmm. diverse things, but the thing is when you, deep, like, when you look into it when you look at neighborhoods and the inequalities you'd be amazed and he's like, that's exactly what's happening around the globe and he uses his tra- he's like, he uses his travel logs to help oh, yeah. him write that book so my next question is
0: who have you learned the most from but never met?
1: that's a hard question that's a really hard question. Well, um, I think for me, it would be, I'm going to, recently I was looking at Ellen DeGeneres and um, it's it was just her 60th birthday and, you know, I was looking at how Portia and her have this beautiful love and they are just so much into helping people and just make, like, they're trying to make the world happy... I, as happy as they are, right? And I've learned that you know what you could, you could do that. You, if you, like I like to help people, so I want to do the same thing. I want to inspire people to do, go out there to help others. And I, I don't know. I, just thinking about this question, I can't. I'm sure there's someone, but Ellen's I mean, a good answer. I try. <laughs> My last question is: What gives you hope for the future? So I'm thinking maybe these visible, not visible minorities, but anyone who's an immigrant and they struggle. You know, you, I take the TTC to school and I see them in the morning and they're working. Like you know, they're trying to get to their job on time. And sometimes when you're taking the TTC like around ten, and you'll see some of these people sleeping, and you're like, if they can do this, if they can do like. God for long how long this job for and with a shitty wage I think I can work and you know get up and be a bit thankful and make a life for myself too and I think that gives me the hope that if they can do it I can do it
0: that's a good sentiment to carry around with you mm-hmm. Thank you. that's all for our interview Rabia thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for having me appreciate it Justine alright listeners that's the end of the episode thank you so much for tuning in If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review wherever you listen to us. If you have any questions or comments, we can be reached at yorkfuss at gmail.com. Thanks again, and have a great night.